You're listening to Slow Theology, Simple Faith for Chaotic Times, with A.J. Swoboda and E.J. Gupta. Welcome back to the show. I'm excited to continue this adventure of Slow Theology with A.J. I'm E.J. here with my friend A.J. Swoboda. And we're starting kind of a new era in our conversations. We're going to launch a series called Slow Creed. Slow Theology is the name of the podcast now. Slow Creed, uh, related to the Apostles' Creed. Um, And the reason that I want to talk about this today with AJ is um, I feel like there, maybe because of the pandemic and other things, People are starting to go back to church, people who have been hurt by the church. People have questions about God, questions about the Bible. And it can seem counterintuitive to step into a church and stand and look at the screen and start chanting and reciting, I believe, I believe. AJ, I'll start off with a couple stories. One is my wife and I, when our youngest child started going to school, public school, um, we had a disagreement over whether we should have her say the Pledge of Allegiance <laughs> ah. because I felt, and I, I don't want to put this on anybody else, but I, I felt like it's kind of coercive to force <laughs> the children to pledge allegiance to a flag. I mean, they're, you know, she's six years old and she's pledging allegiance to a flag of a nation that in my mind, isn't inherently better than all other nations even though I love my country and I'm appreciative of the freedoms that we have. My wife was just like, so I'm, I sat down Libby and I, I'm holding her shoulders and I'm like, you don't have to do this. You can, you can, you know, uh, opt out. You know, my wife was like, don't, don't put that on her. Don't make her the weird kid, you know? And my thing is, oh, we should, you know, we, you know, it makes us into zombies and robots if we're just following orders and we're not thinking for ourselves, you know, and, you know, AJ, as we think about how the church, you know, since basically the beginning, has said we need a belief creed, a system to direct us. And someone, if some, if one of your students came into your office or a parishioner just said, you know, I don't like this. This is this is you know kind of forcing us into a box. How how would you respond to that? Yeah, well, um, the the creeds and and there are as you as you know there are Nije uh, a number of creeds the Apostles' Creed which is just one that we're going to deal with today and in the subsequent episodes uh, represent a number of creeds that the earliest Christians um, gathered together created formed as a distinctive um, framework for what Christian belief is all about and I re- actually really resonate with your immediate critique of uh, being coerced into a box of statements about a particular nationality, as with you. I'm equally grateful to be in the place that God has uh, given me to be, and I'm I'm a proud American, okay, through and through. <laughs> At the same time, um, to see the Apostles' Creed as the same thing as the uh, as the Pledge of Allegiance or uh, so- something of that sort, I think is a, is a different thing for a Christian because, um, you, you know, the truth is um, anybody who spent time in a counselor's office knows this to be the case, that we tend to become the things that we tell ourselves the longest. Um, mm-hmm. I can I think like of a hundred 
sessions in which I've needed to unpack either words that were or were not spoken to me as a child and that I've repeated to myself time and time and time again, we become often what we tell ourselves. And mm. there's truth that sometimes we can be falsely put into a box by words that we speak over ourselves, but sometimes healing comes about by forcing ourselves into words and truths that uh, are outside of ourselves. And that's one of the distinctive marks of the creed is that as you and I were previously talking before we, we started, uh, before we started recording this message, uh, the ancient religions often didn't care very much about belief. It was about ritual. It was about right. um, performing your sacrifice, doing this or that. But the earliest Christians really believed theology mattered and they really believed beliefs mattered. Uh, I remember years ago reading a book uh, by Philip Yancey called Disappointed with God, where he tells a story about going to a church in Indiana where the church uh, did not believe that going to the doctor uh, was an act of faith and that if you went to a doctor, it meant that you didn't believe in God. And he has this whole section mm -hmm. in there about how, man, beliefs are like life and death. Beliefs yeah. really, really matter. And if you if you believe that going to the doctor is a lack of faith, there are going to be often, there are going to be some repercussions for those beliefs. And so for Christians for 2000 years, we've, we really do believe that beliefs matter and saying those beliefs over and over and over again, have the power of creating and generating tremendous, uh, tremendous life. About uh, when you think about the unique nature of how Christians have 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 held uh, beliefs um, outside of ourselves. You know these these things that stand outside of ourselves. Correct me if I'm wrong, but I mean historically, that's a pretty unique characteristic of the Judeo-Christian uh, way. Is that right? Absolutely. Um, and I think part of that is Christians believed things that were so radically different than the rest of the world, not just the idea there's one God, um, you know, Jews believe that as well. Um, not just the, you know, the idea of a Holy Spirit, but um, even what they believed about humanity, some of the equality principles of humanity, they believed were kind of strange, even dangerous. Uh, I've just been researching there, are, you know, n a number of ancient writers, Roman writers who argued and affirmed that equality was a dangerous idea, um, that uh, it, it will only lead to the downfall of society if we treat people equally. Uh, there are slaves, there are elites, there are commoners, and so it must be. And these Christians dared to believe something different because of Jesus. Um, and what I, it's the principle that I call the supremacy of Jesus, uh, this, this crucified Jewish commoner troublemaker. Um, so beliefs really matter. As I think about this for just in general, in general life, we're constantly confronted by uh, values and beliefs in conflict. And I used to teach undergraduate students and I used to teach about the creed. And I'd start off with an, an analogy from the movie The Help. I know it's a book, but I only watch movies. Um, so I start out with an analogy from the movie The Help, which is about life in the 1960s. And there's this white family with a black um, caretaker or, or nanny uh, for their young child, I think probably in that kind of three, four, five-year-old range. And 
sadly, the parents were kind of mean to this child and put down the child and made the child feel um, stupid and unimportant. And they yelled verbal abuse at the child. And every day, this nanny would pull aside uh, this child. I think her name is May Mobley. And say, you are good. You are smart. You are important. And this was a like a creed, a beautiful creed mm. that mm. she would offer to affirm this child every day. And I think about that as I think about my own children, as I think about my church, just like what you're saying, what we claim and what we affirm and what we value, what we repeat um, says something about the way we're going to live, right? Yep. Yeah, I was, I've was. i been recently reading a book by uh, Samuel Perry uh, called Addicted to Lust. He's a, a psychologist who writes about uh, pornography and masturbation and really odd issues in sort of American Protestant culture. And he, in, in, a, in a section of the book, he talks about how, um, you know, when somebody becomes a, a Roman Catholic or an Eastern Orthodox uh, Christian, when they convert to uh, these tradition, these sort of higher liturgy traditions, um, almost always they're they're invited into these traditions where they they begin to say creeds, words, statements that they don't even understand. But the idea mm. is not you understand and then say them; it's that you first say them and then you come to understand them. And that that over a period of time, right, over a period of time, the being told you're good, you're beautiful, uh, have deep, we, we do. And then that transforms our beliefs rather than we believe and then um, and then we say it. And it can go both ways. Right. Sometimes we say it before we believe it. Sometimes we believe it before we say it. Um, but you know what? I'm, it's dawning on me, NJ, probably for our audience. We should actually read the creed. Are you OK if I read the creed out loud? Yeah. Yeah. Read it. Yeah, so this is this is the this is our sort of uh, current um, iteration or the current translation that's used in many Western churches, and it goes like this: I believe in God, the Father Almighty, Maker of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, His only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. He suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried, and he descended to hell. The third day, he rose again from the dead. He ascended to heaven and is seated at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From there he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. I'm struck, Nijay, the first two words in that creed, I believe. That's actually where we get our word creed from. Uh, Credo comes from I believe. Uh, it's this first person singular, I believe statement. Uh, this is largely believed to have been originally a baptismal formula, right? It would have been used yes. as Christians were being baptized into the church and they would, they would say this creed in their, in their baptism. Am I right? You're absolutely right. And, um, you know, it's real, it's, it was linked to catechesis, which is the training of Christians to fully understand the faith. Um, you know, I, I feel like there's this impulse sometimes to do kind of instantaneous baptism. I'm not against that, but there's this impulse to, you know, get them in the church, get them baptized. The early church reflects a desire that people really understand what they're signing up for. Mm-hmm. So baptism was this really big deal that was kind of like a wedding. Um, a kind of initiation into this beautiful family. 
Yeah, even the word tradition, uh, which which um, you 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 would you would tell us the word traditio in in Greek, uh, handed down. Uh, the the basic idea is that uh, this was a tradition that would be handed to the new convert or the catechumen, the the person who had come to faith, and then they would hand it back in the sense that they would say it back as though uh, they had internalized these beliefs. And then uh, there would be a couple of other interesting things that would happen upon their baptism. For example, the earliest Christians would have an exorcism. They'd lay their hands on the earliest Christians and, and cast out the demons. Another thing that they would do is the earliest Christians would spit towards the east so they would they would hawk a loogie towards the east as a way of saying to Satan, uh, "Be done with renounce. you." Renounce, yeah, right, yeah, renouncing Satan. But this this creed, this theological creed, gave shape uh, to generation after generation of of Christians. However, um, it's weird. Why is it, Nijay, that in our many of our Protestant evangelical churches, we don't we don't really do a whole heck of a lot with these creeds? Like why? Why is it pretty rare to hear these creeds read in a lot of our evangelical Protestant churches? Yes, I want to answer that. But first, I want to say something uh, almost to the contrary. And that is, I think there's a resurgence yeah. of uh, creed in Protestant churches. It's it's always been there in the Catholic liturgy. It's always been there in the Orthodox liturgy. But let me tell you an interesting story. You may know this story, but I'm, I'm kind of. As an academic, I'm kind of tickled by it. So um, one of my friends is John Dixon, who's a um, you know Christian historian and uh, Australian. Um, he just moved to Wheaton uh, College to te- to be kind of a public theologian, but he he's from Australia and li- lived in Australia for his most of his life, I assume. And uh, I remember him tweeting at Hillsong, which is the great music producing kind of organization in Australia. And actually a third of the songs that you hear on Christian radio, AJ are Hillsong. Um, so we're, many of us are familiar with Hillsong. And if we don't know, even if we don't know the exact song is Hillsong. Anyway, he actually tweeted at them and said something like Hillsong, love your music, but could you create a song based on the creed? And they did over the next six months to a year. They said, well, that's, we're going to take that as a challenge. And they wrote a song and it's beautiful. It's one of my favorite uh, modern worship songs. Um, another, I, I'm a child. You'll, you'll realize this of the eighties and nineties. And so um, I follow some contemporary Christian music and the band newsboys created wow. a creed based song over the last, you know, five, 10 years. Um, so, and Rich there's Mullins, a whole bro. bunch of Rich books. Mullins. Rich, Rich Mullins. Mullins. That's where I Come first. On. That's where I first learned the creed. Yeah, I first learned, and I actually learned. Um, I was telling a friend this. I learned um, the doxology from Five Iron Frenzy because <laughs> they wrote <laughs> they wrote kind of a, a, a ska kind of song. Anyway, so uh, I think there's a resurgence, and we can talk a little bit, a little bit about why. But I think you're asking why some Protestant churches shy away from this. I think it's that what you were talking about earlier, that idea of. Um, I'm only going to say something if I really, really, really mean it. Mm. And maybe even an allergy to tradition as stale, boring. But I remember, I think it was uh, Yaroslav Pelikan. You might get this quote right if I get it wrong. But he said, "Tradition, uh, traditional, traditionalism is the dead faith of the living, and yep. tradition is the living faith of the dead. Yep. 
And I think we need to make, be able to make a difference between being energized from tradition and just kind of in, in a thoughtless way, passing on traditionalism. Yeah. Roger Olson in his fabulous uh, book, the story of Christian history uh, in his uh, section on the apostles creed um, makes a really important contribution to this by pointing out that, you know, one of the differences between a Catholic and a Protestant is there's basically a swap. Uh, the, the, the Catholic in general will hold tradition over the biblical text and Protestants will hold the biblical text over tradition. Um, and so we tend to think right in evangelical Protestant circles that everything is about, is about scripture. And we certainly have a very high view of scripture, yeah. but Olson points out in his book that even the reformers, the Protestant reformers, Zwingli, Luther, Calvin, um, believed wholeheartedly in the, the apostles creed as a formative statement of, of Christian tradition. And, and so in essence, you know, we, I don't know what I agree. I don't know why we would have such a negative view of tradition. Uh, we, this is, this is as important as tradition as, as one could have. Um, and tradition, you know, is phenomenal as long as it serves and walks faithfully along with scripture. But, uh, this tradition holds true what earliest Christians and Christians throughout history have held to. And we need to bring it back. I mean, that's, I think it's absolutely critical. I remember when we pastored, when I pastored in Portland, we would begin every church service by, uh, reading the creed. The whole church would read the creed together. We would either read the Apostles' Creed or the Nicene Creed, but I could always tell things got really funky in the room when I would read the creed and come to the Catholic part because the <laughs> evangelical was always like, oh my gosh, are we like Catholics now? And of course, we just are historically ignorant uh, enough to not know that the word Catholic there, it doesn't say we believe in the Roman Catholic Church. It says we believe in the Catholic Church, which is this idea, the Holos, the church according to the whole, the big church. We believe in the church. It's a declaration that we believe in the church. It's not a declaration that we believe in the Roman Catholic Church. It's a declaration that we believe in the church. Um, and so, you know, it does bump up against a little bit of our sort of evangelical biblicism, our view of the scriptures alone. I think we need to read this along with scripture, not at the same weight, but along with it and, and together that there, there's a value in reading them, uh, in reading them together. Do you, I wonder, I don't know, DJ, do you actually personally, do you read the creed to yourself from time to time? Do you actually read it to yourself? Um, I, I don't read it to myself, but I've been fascinated with it for, for a decade. And, um, I, I do value that churches, communally I, I i've been trying to find the reference and i can't do it and I, i'm kind of just i don't know if you ever felt that way as an academic where you're like i know i read this somewhere and i want to find it but i heard uh or read that um during the nazi era confessing churches churches that were protesting the third reich um they began to stand when they read the creed mm. whereas before they sat so it was mm. part of their protest um, against, you know, what was happening uh, in Germany and the churches and so forth. Um, I want to tell you an interesting phenomenon. This is kind of a personal thing, uh, which I think is interesting. And then we can continue to chat about kind of the personal dynamics. I was listening to a podcast by a theologian named Ben Myers. I don't know if you know him, but he's oh, I think his he's book is so good. <clears throat> he's got a little book. Yep. And he has a children's book, too, uh, which I recommend that people check out. Um, I've, I've heard a lot about it, and I've heard really good things. Anyway, uh, he made a statement that I found really helpful, and I've been able to put that together with another thing, and hopefully that will be also helpful. So he says, 
um, it's really it really matters that we say I believe. Credo credo means I believe, and not just we believe, which emphasize the importance of individual belief. When I say I believe, there is a sense in which I'm owning that for myself. I can't me as Nije, I can't hide behind AJ. <laughs> you know what I mean? I have to actually believe it for myself. But you're talking about in your church that you did it communally. There is a communal aspect, and I think about how the great Christian tradition has put together the Apostles' Creed, which is I believe, and the Lord's Prayer, which starts out our Father. Yep. Uh, just just during this podcast, it, it, it occurred to me that Christian tradition tries to hold both of these things yep. true, that I have to affirm my own beliefs. I have to take that personal step, but never at the sacrifice of recognizing it's our Lord. The reason I think it's important, AJ, is I've met so many Christians that want to love Jesus, but don't want anything to do with a church. Mm. And so it could be easy just to say, I'll just say the creed, you know, in the privacy of my own home, have my beliefs, but the fact that this was a communal confession, even with an individual component, is really important. We can't really, we shouldn't really lose sight of that. And the next, the next creed that we would read, if we were to read all the, you know, the seven ecumenical creeds, the next one, the Nicene, uh, the Nicene Creed uh, begins with not the phrase, the word credo, but credimus, we believe uh, together. So you, you have one creed that is sort of the individual's creed, a baptismal creed, and one that is a communal creed that is, we say it together. Nijay, my experience of traveling and experiencing a lot of different Christian communities, there tend to be some churches that over, I should say, overinflate either a credo or credimus. Uh, some churches that only affirm the personal belief and one, and some that only affirm the, the kind of corporate belief. And I've never really pushed myself to believe I'm just a part of a body, a community, but I never do it myself. And it does seem to me that the whole, uh, the, the theological structure of the early church, the theological structure was this dual commitment to individual belief that is done communally, credimus yeah. and credo together. Um, and and that, the, that when we separate those, uh, things get really funky. If everything is just credo, I believe, then I never make room for others to speak into my, you know, theological development. I just sort of am playing the worst card, which is just doing me. I'm just doing my thing. But if I only do the corporate belief, then I can just sort of falsely believe I'm following Jesus because I'm a part of a body that's following Jesus. No, I need to follow Jesus myself uh, individually. And those two together, th those two tensions of the we and the I, the I and the we, um, must go together. Uh, must go, must go, must go together. Um, I would say that probably more conservative Christians overemphasize the "I believe," and and more progressive liberal Christians or mainliners tend to believe more of the "we believe." And I think I wonder if there needs to be a wedding of the two, the "I" and the "we" together, the corporate and the individual uh, at, at one and the same. We're we're wrapping up this um, this beginning conversation on slow creed but you know since you wrote the book i want to ask you this question um that i'm sure a lot of people are wondering can i go to church and publicly profess the creed together even though i have doubts you know if how can i say this 
while still wondering about the virgin birth or still wondering about final judgment? Is it duplicitous? Is it a betrayal of my own mind and heart? Mm. Should I just edit and be quiet during parts of it? Uh, I don't believe. Uh, I think uh, rightly so. A lot of people want to live authentically. Um, how should how should we relate to the creed when we do wrestle with doubt? I, I had somebody tell me this story. I don't I, like you. There's so many stories and, and little anecdotes float around in my brain. I'm not entirely sure where it was. But at one point I had I think it was a, a friend who was a scientist, a biologist friend up in Portland who told me that when he is at church, uh, he says the creed. But when they say the part about the virgin birth, he crosses his fingers behind his back and sort of, you know, he says, I believe it. But there's just this one part I just don't know what to do with. And I understand the sentiment behind that. I, I, I get that because there's a certain degree of integration. Why we should we should actually believe what we're saying. You know, we, we do. Um, but I, I would say we, we are a part of a broader story that goes beyond just, you know, the early 2000s, we, we are a part of a, a movement of people that have been believing these things, these sacred truths for 2000 years. And I think I think it's important that we we put ourselves in a position to. To submit our hearts to the wisdom of of our family. And and what I mean by that is there are for any of us certain beliefs that are hard to believe. But we're still called to try and we're still called to seek to receive that, even which doesn't make sense. And again, I, I want to just suggest there's a difference between liking a belief and believing a belief. And sometimes we don't like it, good. But, but we do believe it. And, and, you know, my friend who crosses his fingers, I want him to get to the point where he doesn't need to cross his fingers, but at least he's saying it and he's being honest about it and he's, he's trying to enter in. That, that wraps up nicely our conversation. Stick with us as we continue to talk about the creed in the next episode.